And we're back live with none other than Ben Stein. Ben, welcome to the show. This is a this is what we do now. I had this podcast before back in the day when I was in Congress. I've resurrected it now in order to really highlight people that that spend a lot of time on True Social. Well, you're and very I have kind. To tell you, very kind. Well, I have to tell you, Ben, when you joined True Social, first of all, we had to make sure it was really you. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's very funny. funny. It's very funny. That's very well, funny. Well, I thought maybe somebody was pretending to be you. And then the amazing thing about you is that you probably more than anyone, you interact directly with your with your fans and with your supporters. I do so indeed. We go, I love we go them. back and forth with them. And I've thought, uh, you know, for a long time, boy, it'd be really cool to inter interview Ben Stein. And it's an honor to have you here today. It's an honor to be here, sir. Honor. Great well, honor. When we're both in California today, I'm back uh, in the San Joaquin Valley. You're you're in uh, Beverly Hills, right, 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 right in the exact heart of Beverly Hills, the beating heart of Beverly Hills, and it's it's maintaining. You know, I I, I went out this morning in Tulare, California, in a coffee shop, and was greeted by a homeless guy at the door as normal. I don't know are, how many do you have in Beverly Hills. I have not counted them, but uh, it, any is too many, and. Uh, I was uh, coming home from uh, our home in the desert a couple of nights ago, and one of them uh, jumped and literally saw my car. It's a very nice car, and he jumped out of the street, off the curb, in front of it, and just stood there looking at me as if to say, are you going to run me over or what? Want, of course, wanting me to run him over so he could, I don't know why, so he could I don't, I don't know why. I guess so he could sue me. I don't know why. But it was it was very frightening. And luckily, I had an excellent man driving my car, my friend Judah Friedman. And he uh, pulled around him, and we went on our way. But I don't like homeless people in my neighborhood. I don't like them at all. God bless them. And uh, well, I hope they pull themselves together. Well, welcome to California. Unfortunately, uh, I was telling you before the show, you know, six, seven years ago, it was tough to find a homeless person in in my part of the world here, at least in my home city. And now it's tough not to see hundreds of them yeah. every day. They're just all over the city. It's city, of city. Yeah, where did they where did they come from, Congressman? Where did they come from? Where where the hell did they come from? I don't know. I think they're just I think I think the doors open and I think Newsom and the Democrats continue to make it, you know, it's legal that to you know, pretty much for them to do anything. Like today, the, the coffee shop, for example, they can't get rid of the guy. The guy's been there for two weeks, and the owner of the coffee shop, you know, said that they can't get rid of him. Why? So, why can't they get rid of him? Why can't the police come and arrest him for trespassing? It's the yeah. The, the laws in California have been watered down. You know, they at least in my hometown, Tulare, California, they go from the railroad track to then the state property, and then back to the city property, and they just do that round and round. But now. They built this whole new tent city. They're giving them. There's porta potties. There's Wi-Fi. I mean, it looks quite looks quite nice actually. But well, you know, I don't think I'd want to live there. But I, but uh, yeah, it's something something's wrong. I mean, they, they say it all started with Nelson Rockefeller uh, giving up uh, the men, state mental hospitals and just saying to people, "Well, from now on, we'll give you Valium. We'll give you some tranquilizer and." Uh, Will uh, and you'll be fine, but that didn't work at all. That's a complete myth that you don't need to uh, hospitalize these people, or I, I might add, or or put them in prison. I mean, an awful lot of them have committed crimes. And the ones that are out there on the street, 
they're not there because they want to. Well, they want to. They choose to live the outdoor life in beautiful California. They're there because they're mentally ill. And uh, to, to me, it's amazing in a country as rich as America, and we are a very, very, very rich country, cannot find a place to put these horrible but get poor and heart-rendering souls. My wife says heart-rendering instead of heart-rending. And uh, it's just heart-rendering. As my wife would say, heart-rendering. Yeah. No, it, it is. And it's just, and it's getting worse. I think it's we're welcoming. getting way worse. It's getting way worse. Yeah. And we're, getting I think way. California is welcoming them all in. You know, I go to truth social headquarters is in Sarasota. Oh, I love Sarasota. I love oh, Sarasota. Beautiful community. And I'll tell you, I, I mean, it. there's some, there's some homeless there, but they're, they're hard to find. Not like what you have here. Well, well, it's, it's interesting. My, uh, my wifey and I have a couple of houses down in the desert and, uh, they're in gated communities, and boy, it's nice living in a gated community. And uh, people will say, "Oh, you snobby son of a bitch! You're in a, you talk about being in a bad, gated community." I want to be safe. I want my wife to be safe. Sometimes my son and my granddaughter visit. I want them to be safe. It's just uh, safety, safety, safety. And by the way, if I were the head of the Republican Party, and I assure you I'm not, I would make safety a very, very major part of our platform safety it's insane that people should feel unsafe in their own country well i want to ben i want to get started thank you for being here and we have a few clips and i want uh first of all uh you know ben you you, you played in one of the most uh, famous movies uh i think of all time ferris bueller's day off and one of the most amazing characters i was and, very lucky it was a very lucky break for me well, I want to um, I want to play that clip, uh, and then after we come back, and then I want to walk through kind of your history because I know you have a political history. You worked for Richard Nixon. Oh, um, I was I was a speechwriter before that. I was I was a speechwriter for a U.S. senator from my home state of Maryland when I was still a teenager. Well, let's well let's play clip one, and then we'll come back and we'll get into that. I want everybody to see the famous one of the famous scenes from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Here it goes. God bless you. Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> so that's that's the famous Bueller line. And, and thank you so much, Ben. When you did a video uh, early on when you were on True Social, uh, you know, calling for me, which I thought was hysterical. And we've had one of our users, we'll play it at the end, we've had one of our users actually take that movie scene and put it into you calling for me. It's quite funny, but we'll play it, we'll play it at the end. Please do. Okay, so... You, you know, I think most people know you as a you know Hollywood movie star. Um, you know, I, I'm, Devin, my dear friend, I am not a star. I am a I am an actor, and I really basically can only play a few parts, mostly myself. <laughs> but uh, a, a star is way too far. I'm only a star in one thing, which is making dinner for my wife. My wife's an invalid, and she lies in bed most of the day, and I make her the best meal I possibly can for dinner every night. And I'm a I think I'm a star at that. Well, sounds good. It sounds like I'll bring the wine and you'll cook the food. I'll come and visit. Yes, exactly. We don't drink alcohol, but you can bring uh, you can bring Diet Pepsi. That's fine. All right, I'll bring you yeah, a Diet Pepsi. Pepsi is a Republican drink. You probably you're probably too young to remember this. The Pepsi is a Republican drink, and Coca-Cola is a Democratic drink. What? I don't yes. know. This. Yes. Well, Don Kendall, who was head of PepsiCo for a long, long time, was a great friend of 
General Eisenhower and Mr. Nixon, and uh, Pepsi became the Republican drink. And at every Republican convention, you could only get Pepsi products, no Coca-Cola products. But I think nowadays people have forgotten that. That's a that's a long time ago. Yeah, I did. I that's that's history. I didn't know. Yeah, but let's go know. back. Let's go back in your history because you really got your start from what I know in politics. Well, I got my start as a lawyer. As a lawyer, really, I am a lawyer by training. Although, uh, I tell you that, are you a lawyer, Devin? If you're, if you are it's a tough gig being a lawyer. No, I'm not gig. a lawyer. No. Okay, well, yes, I, started I had to work out. with. I had to work with a lot of lawyers, which was a real pain in the ass. By the a way, a real pain in the ass. I started out actually. I am by training an economist, and my father was a very famous economist and a, a very very famous economist, and my. Uh, he, he is the author of, of what is called Stein's Law, which is if something cannot go on forever, it will stop. And uh, the, he was very witty. He was famous for being the wittiest man in Washington for a long, long time. And then I, then I became a lawyer. And uh, boy, being a lawyer is hard work. But then I became a law teacher at Pepperdine. And Pepperdine is a wonderful island of sanity and beauty in California. And... Uh, my father was very close with the people who founded Pepperdine, and uh, I taught there for a long, long, long time. Okay. I taught securities law, which is really tough. And then I, then I was a, then I was an expert witness in I don't know dozens, maybe hundreds of cases. That's that's very challenging work, but I loved it. I loved it. I have this old brain in here that wants to work. So, so walk. So that's where you get your start. I didn't realize that, but then at some point you end up in Washington. And no, no, I, was up born, work- I was born in Washington. Uh huh. But you end up working for Richard Nixon. Yeah, that was wonderful. That was. But I had always loved Nixon. See, in 1952, when he ran for vice president with President with General Eisenhower, uh, all the people in my neighborhood, who were mostly leftists and liberals, hated him. His name was like a curse word. But my father thought he was great, and my father had been in the Navy and followed the uh, war quite closely, and he, he thought Nixon was great. And uh, he, uh, he, so I, I had always loved him, and when we would have debates in junior high school about uh, Eisenhower, Democrats versus Republicans, I would always take the Republican side, and people would make fun of me and laugh at me, but I loved Ike, and I loved Nixon, and when he ran against Kennedy in 60, I think the election was stolen from him. I think he would have been a very fine president then. And then when he pulled himself together and uh, wow, and, and became the candidate in 68 and then won by the biggest majority in history in 69, I was just awed by him. And uh, I, I, I don't want to, want to go on too long. My father was chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors for President Nixon. And I used to go over there and visit him. My father had, if you can imagine such a thing in modern America, he had an office so big in the executive office building that it had a fireplace, a working fireplace, a working wood fireplace. And I used to go over there and visit him all the time. And I thought, wow, this is the life being in the executive office building. I want to be here. And uh, thanks to an incredibly wonderful man named Peter Flanagan, whom you may or may not know, but he was... uh, very, very big wheel in the world of Nixon. Uh, I got a job there as a speechwriter, and boy, did I love it. It was I've ever had a happier day in my life than the day I walked in and they told me, here are your first assignments, and I was just so happy. And what, what year was that? 
Uh, that would have been 73. I became a full-time speechwriter. In 70, I became a part-time researcher and speechwriter for a man named Bob Brown. I don't, you're, you're so young, you won't remember these names. But Bob Brown was a very successful African-American entrepreneur and businessman in North Carolina. He was, as I say, an African-American, but very Republican. And uh, I worked doing research and speechwriting for him. And uh, that was that was only part time. And then uh, I was bumped up to be a, a, a full time speechwriter for President Nixon. And boy, did I love that job! Mm-hmm. And then, and, how long did you? What did you do after the Nixon administration? Then, well, I worked for President Ford for a while, okay. and then one, then one day, and I loved him. I loved President Ford. One day, I was sitting in my office, and the phone rang. I picked it up, and a very familiar voice said, "Ben." And this is Don Rumsfeld. And I said, hi. And he, he, I knew him because he, he and my father were close friends. He said, how do you like working in the White House? And I said, I love it. I'd like to stay here for the rest of my life. And he said, well, he, I'm glad you like him, but you can't stay here. We're moving out all the old Nixon hands. And we'll find you a job somewhere in the bureaucracy, like uh, secretary of undersecretary of transportation or something like that. Uh, and uh, or I said, if you want, you can find your own job. Well, life the way it is in the capital city, my mother, God rest her soul, uh, was very well connected, and uh, she was calling her friends. Uh, and I'd say within an hour, I had three very, very good job offers. And then I called Bob Bartley, whom you may or may not know. He was editor of the Wall Street Journal editorial page, and a very wonderful guy. And I had been writing uh, freelance pieces for them for years. And he said, would you be willing to move to New York and write for us full-time? And I did, and I became a full-time columnist, uh, editorial writer, and uh, general editor under Bob Bartley, who I think was probably the best editorial editor of an editorial page there's ever been in America. So I want to get into just some some recent events here. Um, you know, because of your economic background, and you know your your background in uh, in economics and long time in politics and and just just the basics because you know my daughter told me the other day she wants to go into economics we'll see if that that's works. a great field how old is this young woman she she's a freshman in in high school and, and, uh, you know if my son asked me I would say being an, an economist is one of the best jobs in the world. I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend it. It's a great job. Well, and I, you know, and I told her, I said, well, you know, I was an agriculture business major, took a lot of ec- ec- uh, economics. Of course, she didn't think that was very impressive. But <laughs> well, she, she's, your ch- she's your child. What do you think? But I, I did my best to kind of explain there's, you know, economics is a big field. I mean, from macroeconomics to microeconomics. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to be interviewing Ben Stein. So why don't for all of my listeners that are that are out there, uh, you know, give us the basics of economics 101 and how that relates to this in- inflationary period that we're going through. Kind of what caused it, and I know it's tough to predict, but what it's going to take to get out of it. Well, the basics of economics is about the allocation of scarce resources. And uh, I learned that from my first year economics teacher at Columbia, very, very good teacher named Lowell Harris. And uh, the basic economic law is called Fisher's Law. And I'm going to tell it to you right now. 
and I hope you'll save this and show it to your daughter. And Fisher's Law says, M- mandatory, mandatory uh, viewing for her, and it yes. put all my kids right to sleep. Well, just, no, she shouldn't go to sleep. It's very important. <laughs> MV equals PT. That means quantity of money as what the Federal Reserve is, is printing and throwing around the country times the velocity of money, which is how fast people spend it, equals prices, that is the price level, which we all are familiar with now, times transactions, the number of times the money changes hands. And if the government prints a huge amount of money, and maybe it should sometimes, uh, uh, that will almost always result in upward movement in prices. And I think that President Trump handled it very, very well when the uh, pandemic started and we started moving towards what could have been, people were saying was going to be another Great Depression. He greatly revved up the money supply and he did that. That was right. He did exactly the right thing. But then when Mr. Biden took over somehow, uh, he, uh, he revved it up even more. And I think he revved it up too much. And uh, we got from that a level of price prices that were just uh, very difficult and they're getting more difficult. I'm hoping, I know I do all the grocery shopping in the Stein family. So I do notice some breaks in some prices, but if you rev up the money supply enough, you will get inflation. And uh, I think the Biden administration has done that too much. And we, we, we do have a level of inflation, which is a basically a tax on everyone. Uh, it's just too much. I mean, we, we, we I think we're past the worst of the uh, economic effects of the pandemic, and we can start uh, pulling back on creating so much money. And uh, I think, as I say, when you go shopping, I don't know, Devin, whether you do your shopping in your family or who does it in your family, but uh, I, I, we both do. I actually, I actually kind of enjoy. Uh, I love shopping. I love it, except when I come to the cashier. Anyway, it's a, a very, very, very expensive world we live in nowadays, and. Uh, it stuns me, really stuns me how much things cost. Well, what I like to do is I like to I like to grill. So people who follow me on Truth, uh, back in the day when I used to post on Instagram, I used to, just for fun, I would I would show people what I was grilling and then, you know, kind of what I was, and my wife makes fun of me because I'm not a very good cook, but I'm, well, I, do I, know have how to, a, I do wife, know how to grill. My wife is a very generous, spirited, wonderful woman, and she praises my cooking. And we have... I know this sounds, what I'm about to say sounds insane, but we have a lot of household help in this house, and I have, and we won't for much longer, but anyway, we do for now. And I uh, I, I saute almost everything, and uh, steak and salmon primarily, and occasionally French toast, which I really love. And uh, speaking of French toast, you, I, I'm sure you know you make French toast mostly with eggs. The price of eggs is unbelievable. Anyway, uh, well, I was gonna. Who would have ever thought that uh, you know, know. That, that eggs would be higher than uh, than than your regular meats? Uh, eggs are incredible. It's a great food. It's a wonderful food. Nutritious, delicious, tasty. But boy, has the price gone up. Anyway, uh, so uh, I, I sort of against without planning on it, I became a, a bit, a tiny bit of a chef, only with the very, very, very simple things. I couldn't do anything complicated. And uh, we just sit around the television watching old episodes of Perry Mason, 
eating our dinner. And uh, it's a happy time for us, by and large. That's Although awesome. we, 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 don't, we don't like watching the news because we do not like watching the newscasters fawn all over President Biden and some of his most nauseating allies in the Congress and in the media. And we do not like the fact that we now have a one-party state as far as uh, truth is concerned and as far as uh, speaking is concerned. We, we have, th- th- this is a loss so devastating that it's almost impossible. It is impossible to quantify, but the, the media has become a, a part of the government. A, f- a friend of mine, a very smart friend of mine, says it's the fourth branch of the Third Reich. And it's a really scary thing to see the news. I don't, I don't watch television generally except all reruns of Perry Mason. But uh, wow, it's just astonishing how we've become a one-party state. Yeah. And then recently, and recently, the I mean, they've they've corrupted. We won't, we've talked about this a lot on my podcast, and people who watch my interviews know this, but. The corruption now at the Department of Justice is just staggering. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. unbelievable. Wait, wait a second. Well, Live, you can tell them to stop hammering whatever the hell they're doing outside. We're getting a new refrigerator, and you would think they were installing an intercontinental ballistic missile. I mean, it's so so complicated. Anyway. Uh, we can stop the if we no, want. We no, can no, we no, can, no, we can stop, move the stop. camera. We can go out there and help them install no. that refrigerator live. That'd be new for the pot for my podcast. It's it's a, it's a it's a the refrigerator is a super bargain, but it looks like they're going to have to disassemble the whole house to put it in. Anyway, uh, it's amazing to me. The Department of Justice, the FBI, other parts of so so called law enforcement within the government have become organs of the Democrat Party. It's just unbelievable to think that we do not have a part of the government that is not subverted and controlled by the Democrat Party and used to control what used to be free speech. It's just amazing, breathtaking to think that something as basic as free speech has been lost so quickly. And then you look at the, and I don't know if you've seen this uh, just in the last few days, um, DirecTV uh, has now canceled Newsmax I, I, I can't believe that I saw that. I couldn't believe it. I've been, sir, I've been writing for Newsmax for a very, very, very long time, a long, long time. It's a wonderful, wonderful entity. And I just can't understand how they had the effing nerve to do that and basically say to the viewers, F you, we do what we want. There's no First Amendment as far as we're concerned. Uh, there's just whatever we want to do. Well, and they got away with it. They did it to One American News, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, and then I they turn not. around and they double down and they do it to Newsmax because there was no repercussions. And well, because who's there to speak? I mean, who's there, who's left to speak? And who's who? Look, there, there are several in, here in LA where I live. There are three major newspaper organs: the Wall Street Journal, which used to be absolutely great in terms of telling the truth, has been very considerably changed. Uh, the well, the New York Times, which is always just pure Bolshevism and has been for a long, long time, and the LA Times, which is a joke of, of in, incompetence. And then who is there on the media except you and a few other people uh, to tell people the truth? I mean, there's there's not much truth in the media anymore. There's, there's a lot of praise of people who should not be praised. There's a lot of excusing criminal behavior. I mean, in America now, especially in our beloved California, which I love so, so very much, 
the basic law is uh, if you're a criminal and if you're of a so-called minority race, you get away with it. There's no, no, there's no penalty. In San Francisco, which used to be one of the most wonderful cities in the world, you can now go into a store and steal things costing up to several hundred dollars and just walk out with them. There's nothing that the merchant or the shopkeeper can do. Nothing. Right. And that's the tale of California. And it's, it's, and, you know, I get to see, you know, kind of the tale of two states now where, you know, when I'm in Florida, you know, it's like I was saying earlier, it's just such a, a, a stark contrast. And of course, the the price, you can get basically a free U-Haul from anywhere as long as you're coming to California. Uh, but you have to pay a fortune to get a U-Haul out of California. And I think right. that back to your economics, that's yep. kind of economics 101, right? And, and yet, we, yes, you're, of course, you're completely right, Devin. But the, but the real amazing thing is that nevertheless, prices here for real, real estate just keep going up, up, up. And which is fine with me because I own a fair amount of real estate, but I, I'm just uh, I'm just heartbroken the way this city, especially, has deteriorated. I moved here in, on June 30, 1976, and I can vividly remember going to shop uh, in the middle of Hollywood at grocery stores, and I felt perfectly safe. I didn't feel the slightest bit of apprehension. I wouldn't go there now unless I had a loaded gun on the seat next to me. Yeah. Well, that's I want to. That's heartrending. So I want to have a. There's a couple other topics that I want to get through here, and the as next many, one. I, uh, my my time is your time, sir. Well, the one that I wanted to get get to because I don't want to forget is so you moved to Los Angeles or LA area in in '76, right? Um, walk us through uh, your your acting career and well, how, like like kind of walk us through how did you ultimately get into the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. How did- I started out as a screenwriter. I uh, had become friends uh, with a very, very, very successful producer of uh, sitcoms named Norman Lear. Uh, he said, you're the only conservative I've ever met who has a sense of humor. And I'd like you to help me uh, with a show. And I wrote for, for several years for several, some of his shows. And in the meantime, I saw that uh, people were making money with what seemed to me like a very little effort or talent writing movie screenplays. So I started doing that. And meanwhile, I was writing books and I was also writing about economics, especially personal finance. And uh, I just uh, kept doing that. I frankly kept doing everything that I felt would keep my old brain occupied and interested. Uh oh. All right, producer, we lost uh, Ben somehow. We'll get him back on, so we'll stay uh, we'll stay going live here for a little bit, guys. Until I'm sure Ben uh, must have just hit the wrong button, or that, or the he was installing his refrigerator and the internet went went out. So let's uh, let me make sure that we're playing here. All right, so we are still live. You guys can hear me on Rumble. So it's not Rumble and it's not True Social. We're still going, but we're going to come back to Ben. We were just getting to the good part about Ferris Bueller's day off. Uh, but I think what we can, uh, what I can do is I can talk a little bit about the, you know, the first time that I met Ben Stein, and or at least that I remember, it was he was flying. We we actually met in the airport. We, we uh, lost in the picture. Sure, there we, we lost him. We lost him. Now we're back. Anyway, he's, he's back. So I, was, I was writing. So I, was gonna, 
I was right. I'm telling the story right oh, now yes. about yes. about how I met you in the airport and how friendly you were, and then how you were, you know, you were willing to come back. And then in Washington, I think you were writing for the American Spectator, but you would right. come and brief members of Congress. So I was kind of walking people through kind of how okay. I first met you. Well, you're very kind. I, you you were kind enough to ask me how I started as a actor, although I'm not really yes. a very good actor. I was writing screenplays, and uh, if I was talking to the, a fellow who's a high executive at Universal, and out in the hall was the most successful producer of youth comedies there's ever been, John Hughes. And he heard my voice, and he said, God, you have a funny voice. And he asked me to be in a movie, and the movie was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And the scene I did, all ad-libbed, not one word scripted what turned out to be one of the most famous scenes in movie history. And after that, I worked quite steadily for uh, certainly 25 years and uh, did many, many, many shows. I had my own quiz show. We made almost a thousand episodes of it. Yep. We won three Emmys. That uh, was win, 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 win Ben Stein's money. And uh, how they knew that I had any money is still a mystery to me. But anyway, and it was really my money. If I lost, they really did deduct it from my pay. And I really didn't know the answers to the questions they asked. Uh, but I have a super good memory and it pretty good. Anyway. So uh, anyway, so I so I did that. And I love acting. Now, Bob Dylan, the great Bob Dylan, was asked what his favorite thing in all of life was. And he said, appearing before an audience. And uh, that's how I feel, too. Appearing before an audience is the sort of high point of human life and uh i still feel that way i don't do much of it anymore i've been i've been sort of blacklisted for being a conservative in hollywood i mean i've i have lost gigs i've lost commercials i've lost lots of things luckily by the grace of god i had some savings and some of it worked well uh but uh hollywood is very much run a blacklist system and if you are not part of the in crowd politically you're going to pay for it. Yeah. Well, look, that just recently that happened. Uh, very, a good young actor. She was, a, uh, I think, an MMA fighter and um, Gina Carano. And she was in the very, the last, I think, the only Disney, the part of Star Wars that Disney Plus hasn't screwed up. And that was the Mandalorian um, uh, miniseries. And they booted her off. They booted her out because she supported. I'm not even sure she actually said she supported Trump. I think she. It doesn't. You're not, you're, all you have to do is not be wholeheartedly a Democrat and a left wing, so called progressive Democrat at that. All you have to do is be that you have to be really enthusiastic about the left wing of the Democrat Party or else you're in deep doo doo. And, and I mean deep, deep doo doo. I, I, I can only say. I'm unbelievably grateful and lucky that I saved when I was making money. I saved some of it, and uh, my parents were kind enough to save some and give it to my sister and me. And uh, otherwise, I would really be living a, a desperate life. Yeah. Well, it's, look, it's really serious. We've, we've got a, a Bolshevik state here in in Hollywood. It's it's serious, and it's it's not getting any better. Yeah, and I mean, it's creeped down to, you know, look at, think of, of Richard Nixon, where he was from there, southern Los Angeles County, I know. I know. down to Orange You're... County. That was all Republican. And I know. Oh, I know. How well I know. I know. How well I know. How well I know. Sir, I was, the night Nixon died, there was a viewing of his body uh, at, the, uh, at the Nixon Library, and 
there's a big street runs by it called Yorba Linda Boulevard. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Yep. And there were hundreds of thousands of people marching by to pay their respects to Richard Nixon. Hundreds of thousands. It was like five lanes, two completely filled. It was an amazing outcome. No publicity, just word of mouth. There was not one word about it in the LA Times the next day. Not one word. Of course not. Yeah. But you know what? You just touched on something, though, Ben, that I'd like to get your opinion on. Uh, and that is that, you know, Nixon has been just, you know, for for the history books, Nixon will always be seen as that guy that was almost impeached, forced to resign. Uh, he lied. I mean, he was just absolutely vilified. But, you know, the the record on him, I think, is is very, very mixed in terms of it's and I think you would say that the, the, the record of him is actually wrong. The record of him is incredibly good. You know, there's a line in the Bible, sir, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And Mr. Nixon was the ultimate peacemaker there's ever been. He opened up the doors to China and uh, he made, made peace with China. And uh, now China has come back, unfortunately, in the 30 years since then, more than 30 years since then, and has become a kind of aggressive and dangerous power. Uh, but uh, he really calmed things down with them for a long time. He saved Israel. Now, I'm a Jew. I make no bones about it. I'm a Jew. I'm happy being a Jew. God made me a Jew. I'm a happy Jew. <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm, I, I, Nixon saved Israel. The, the, in the 73 Yom Kippur War, the Russians threatened to use nuclear weapons against Israel and to, to start off by dropping Russian paratroopers uh, to, to block the Israeli army as the Israelis were uh, kicking the crap out of the Egyptian army as they usually do. And uh, Mr. Nixon said, if you do that, if you drop paratroopers into that war, we are going to go to DEFCON 2. And DEFCON 2 means defensive configuration 2. Or might have been defensive configuration 2. Anyway, one step away from nuclear war. Because Nixon was willing to go to war to save the children of Israel. No other world leader has ever in the 7,000 year history of Israel, of Judaism, done anything like that. He was a hero of biblical proportions. And he gets no credit for it at all. He brought us through terrible domestic strife, riots on the streets, a terrible, terrible, terrible attacks upon civilized life brought us through all of that. Didn't do anything wrong. They have still, look, it's this Watergate, the break-in at the Democrat National Committee, right down the block from where I own a home, is was, uh, I believe, some, uh, February, or, I don't know, some, sometime in 72. They still don't know what the crime was. They still don't know what the burglars were looking for. He was kicked out of office. Nobody can say what he did wrong. He, it was just a media coup. My sainted mother used to say over and over again, it was a media coup. It was, there was no crime at all, just the media running wild. Yeah, and his track record, you know, his governing track record was quite good. I mean, Not you just about quite good, fabulous, fabulous, yeah. fabulous. No, no inflation to speak of, uh, very smoothly running economy, and it's incredible. People think somehow Republicans are anti-black. Mr. Nixon presided over the biggest improvement 
in integration for black children in the Deep South there's ever been, ever. When he took office, there was still something like one-third of Southern school districts were segregated by law. When he left office, there were almost none. So this was a great man. This was not just a good man and a capable civil servant. This was a great man. Yeah, no, it's it's and it's horrible how hit what you know. There's there's the real record, but then there's the history books, which always attack, which always attack and make Nixon. You know, you always hear the you know the line, oh, worse than Nixon. You know, it's constant. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Look, you are smart enough and know Washington well enough to remember who Ben Bradley was. Ben Bradley. Well, if you don't, I'll remind you. You're young. I'll remind you. Ben Bradley was the editor of the Washington Post. He was the one who presided over their Pulitzer Prize-winning coverage of Watergate, uh, a lot of which was done by my childhood next-door neighbor, Carl Bernstein, and uh, an amusing guy, but not necessarily the best at truth-telling. And uh, Mr. <laughs> Nick, Mr. Nixon, uh, he did. He just did did nothing. And Ben Bradley, towards the end of Ben Bradley's life, said. I really could not swear that what we wrote about Nixon was true. And I really question whether all those secret meetings with uh, be, uh, between my reporters and secret administration sources really happened. I really question whether it happened at all. And uh, well, nobody, nobody even remembers that. His, their own editor just disowned them. Well, having gone through... You know, essentially the, the the Russia hoax, which was in fact complete an attempted hoax. coup, an attempted coup against hoax. Trump, that that ultimately I think was successful because you had, even though they weren't successful with Mueller and all that bullshit, they were successful after the by when you looked at the polling after the 2020 election, over half of the American people believed that Trump and Republicans had done something nefarious with Putin in Russia. So and they couldn't say way, what it was. It they never, they never said what it was. What was it? What was the Russian collusion? There never was any. Well, well there was. There was, but it wasn't with Trump. Yeah, it was well put. Very good. Very, very good. It well was done, with, Congressman. Well done. It Congressman. was with them. It was with yeah. them. Yeah. No, so the, the, media, the media is way too powerful in this country, way too monolithic, and uh, it's a scary situation that we're in in terms of losing our freedom of speech. I mean, you, yeah, we, we see it being, all the time. Well, and they're being controlled by the left is what's, I mean, they're yes. just, a, they're, they're, the, what did you call it? The fourth, the fourth, uh, the fourth branch of the third Reich, which is a, a very, very, a very smart, clever young woman who works for me uh, gave it that name. Yeah, I think that's accurate. So I have a kind of a fun story for you here. Please. Um, and it kind of gets to the Nixon point. I want to, I want to, I want to tee up. I want to get the producer ready to tee up a uh, clip two. So this is Tucker Carlson uh, talking about uh, recently they had the release of the CIA Kennedy tapes uh, documents um, and Tucker Carlson speculating, but it involves Richard Nixon. So I thought, what a better thing to do than to, and I don't know if you've seen the clip yet, but we'll we'll play it here and then I'll get you to comment because I think it's kind of fun. I'd very much like to see it. Thank you, please. Play clip two. We spoke to someone who had access to these still-hidden CIA documents, a person who was deeply familiar with what they contain. We asked this person directly, did the CIA have a hand in the murder of John F. Kennedy, an American president? And here's the reply we received verbatim. Quote, the answer is yes. I believe they were involved. It's a whole different country from what we thought it was. It's all fake. 
I don't know. I, I don't know what that means, but I do think that uh, the Russians and the Cubans were behind the uh, murder of JFK. And uh, yeah, I, I never, I never bought any of that stuff about this about the mafia being involved or mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 the uh, Castro, a horrible, horrible, horrible human being, ha- was determined to get back at uh, Kennedy for uh, mm-hmm. humiliating him over the uh, Bay of Pigs and everything else. And Khrushchev was a wild, reckless gambler. And I think uh, he, the record is quite clear, he he and his men trained Lee Harvey Oswald to be a super good shooter. He was already a very good marksman when he was in the Marines. And uh, they trained him. Then he went off to Cuba for more training. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just astonishing that nobody followed this up. There's a guy named Edward J. Epstein, who wrote a book about uh, the uh, very absolutely unequivocal cover-up of the uh, Russian-Cuban involvement in the assassination of Kennedy. Uh, people ignore that entirely. They, they, they think that uh, some some mysterious thing having to do with Nixon and the Republicans had something to do with it. And, and maybe the CIA did have something to do with it. I've, I've long questioned whether the CIA is really on our side or somebody else's side. Well, I think... Well, I think what the, and I don't think we played the whole clip, but what it was was that Nixon, I think, had had supposedly, reportedly, had had made some comments in the White House to directly to the CIA that he he basically accused him of, and who knows if this is true, of being involved. But I I kind of tend to agree I would with not, you. I would not doubt. It. I really would not doubt it. Yeah, but I, I I tend to agree with you. I think it's probably somewhere. Somewhere in the middle that um, that you had, you know, definitely Ca- you could see why Castro would be involved. The Russians, I think you you, you put it right that they were that they were big gamblers at that time. And, um, and they're look, big I mean, gamblers it, uh, now. They're big gamblers now. I mean, why did they? They didn't yeah. have to invade Ukraine. What did they do that for? They've they've been humiliated and they've been shown to be the barbarians and the mass murderers and mass rapists that they are. They didn't need to do it. They have plenty of oil. They have plenty of money. They have plenty of wheat. What did they need to do it for? Yeah, no, it's uh, Putin is clearly way out of bounds here in what he's doing. Way out of bounds. Way out of and, bounds. <laughs> way out of bounds. And the problem, you know, that, that they're in now, uh, and I think that Trump has, President Trump has been talking about this recently, that, you know, this administration, it's like they're, they're the Biden administration, like they're, they're hell-bent. You know, a year ago, they say no tanks. Now, all of a sudden, there's tanks. But then is, you know, I don't have to be, I spent, you know, a lot of time in, 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 on military intelligence issues in my time. I have to tell you, Ben, giving them 30 to 50 tanks over the next, you know, two years is a joke. Well, is a mean, joke. So, and all you're going to do is piss off Putin. Now, if you're going to give him tanks and you want to try to defeat the Russians, it's going to take more than, than 50 tanks. Well, I will tell idea. you that uh, when the, in the closing uh, months, weeks, days of uh, World War II, the Germans developed something, I'm sure you're familiar with it, I'm sure you're a historian, called the Panzerfaust. And the uh, Panzerfaust was a device the Germans could make for a few marks, and uh, a teenager could easily operate it and could uh, destroy the toughest Russian T-34 tank. And uh, I, I I don't know uh, how much good it's going to do us to send the M1A1 battle tank there. I think for us to send anti-tank uh, devices to the Ukrainians is a great idea because the Russians have lots of tanks and the Ukrainians have lots of smart, uh, capable soldiers who can learn to use anti-tank devices. But uh, really, uh, I think the main thing is uh, let's 
do whatever we can to keep the Russians from being able to just bomb yeah. civilian areas at will. I mean, they can, they can launch rockets from 4,000 miles away to land in the middle of a suburban shopping center, if they have shopping centers in Russia, and uh, we can't do anything about it. But we do have weapons that can stop them, and the Israelis definitely have weapons that can stop them. Let's focus on Israel, which has the adva most advanced weapons technology in the world. Let's get them on our side to help uh, stop Russia. I mean, they, well, and I think the main thing is, is, is here, and they, you know, for all the time I was in Congress, I, you know, kept saying, you know, hearing that Republicans were the warmongers, yet, yet, you know, look, and you can have your arguments about, you know, the Iraq war and, and kind of in that situation, you know, with George W. Bush, I think, you know, the history is still being written on that. But, you know, for all these guys that run around and saying is they, you know, they understand foreign policy. If we just have diplomatic relations and if we just talk for all their talk, why the hell aren't they talking right now? Well, like, why, well Biden, there's, there's, Biden Putin doesn't want to talk. He, look, Devin, Mr. Congressman Devin, Russia is a huge, enormous country. It is getting its ass kicked like crazy by a much, much smaller country called Ukraine. Uh, because the Ukrainians really have something on the line. They have their freedom and their decency on the line. People ignore the fact that the international entities have found places where masses of Ukrainian girls were raped and then buried alive by Russian troops. I don't think we want to do anything that allows the Russians to take over Ukraine. Uh, if it costs a lot of money, it costs a lot of money. We've got plenty of money. Uh, but I agree with you. The tanks are kind of a, not necessarily the best way to, to spend well, our money or time. Yeah, and, and my point too is is that they're they're escalating at a time when, you know, clearly the Russians don't want to. The Russians, you know, I think they're having a tough time getting people to fight. The Ukrainians they can't, they can't get them to fight. They're taking they're taking convicts and they're letting them yeah. out of prison to fight. And the and the convicts are the most brutal, horrible people you can imagine fighting against. And the Ukrainians are killing them like mad. And that, and, and I guess my only point, Ben, was that on this is that for the party, the Democratic Party, the left, who claim they're diplomatic, they sure so, don't seem to have any diplomatic solutions here. They have done, have done. They have done at all. They don't have any solutions about any. Look, the people who run the, the diplomatic the, the uh, foreign policy and defense policy of this administration have no experience in this field at all, none, zilch. Uh, we, we really would do ourselves a great favor to consult with people who do have some in, in, uh, background in intelligence and in military affairs, but we don't. We don't. We don't. I mean, look at the people in, in our administration who run defense and foreign policy. They have no experience. Their only qualification is they're the right skin color. Yeah, or the right, or the right, whatever letter that they believe in. I mean, that's what's it's sadly that the military has now gone woke and oh, terrible. Oh my God, it's so terrible. I had lunch uh, this past weekend with a woman who runs a, an organization that helps the families of uh, people who have been killed in the in the military, even even if long if it's long after they have retired from the military. And mm -hmm. she tells me that the people that are being inducted into the military these days have terrible health records. Many of them can barely read and write. A huge number of them are drug addicts. We have real trouble getting our armed forces up to gear. 
let's concentrate on that and let's concentrate on getting an American military that can and will fight. And, and we, yes, of course, we should help the Ukrainians do it. To, to me, that's unequivocal. I know not everyone agrees with me. Some people I respect a great deal don't agree with me about this. But I think it's unequivocal that we have to keep a barbaric, horrible, rapist, mass-murdering country like Russia away from controlling Ukraine. That's unequivocal. As I say, we can afford it. This is a very well, rich is, country. And this spiraled out of control as someone from, you know, back in the in. 13 and 14, when Obama was into appeasement of Putin, some of us were warning about me, warning about it. And then, of course, they turn around after after being best buddies with, with Putin and the Russians and taking money. We can't forget that it was the Bidens that took money from the mayor of Moscow's wife. Uh, and, all and of that, from, all of that really Chinese, happened. And from the Chinese. I mean, my and God, the, the amount Chinese. of money they take from the Chinese is breathtaking. And then they go and, you know, for, for, you know, they basically lied so much, they started believing their own lies. <laughs> they vilified Putin so much that they went from he was their buddy to now he's their arch enemy. And, you know, Trump loses. And then, of course, Putin's starting to lose his mind. And then Putin does crazy stuff and gambles. And I mean, all of this rhetoric, I would tell you, with if it wasn't for the, the fake Russia stuff that happened, I doubt we'd be in this situation today. I'm not sure whether we would be or we wouldn't be, but one thing I want to say to you, my fellow Republican, and I've been a Republican as long before you were born, the, uh, is that the uh, I, I don't want to see any more stories about Russia moving in, taking whole villages, suburbs, raping all the women and girls, bear, and then burying them alive. I don't want to see any more stories about that. If yeah. we can stop it by sending them weapons, let's do it. If we have to have a great ramping up of our weapons capa building capacity, let's do that. I don't want to see us countenancing this kind of barbarity. Yeah, not, none of us do. And I, but, but it's important that we don't forget what's happened in just the recent past is, is my only point that, you know, a, a military that's focused on the wrong things. It's oh, not God, on deterrence. Yes, of course, a military that's focused on making sure that they have the right gender and that they're not discriminating against lesbians. That's just crazy. We want a military. The military's goal is to fight and win wars. Right. That's unequivocal. That's been completely forgotten and ignored by the and, Biden administration. The goal of the military is to fight and win wars. And it's the botched withdrawal of Afghanistan, yes, all the Russia hoax nonsense. Started. Putin smells weakness, loses his mind, and bad things happen because he does because he didn't think we would do anything. And now, of course, we're playing catch up. It's just a it's just a travesty and leading us on the brink of of you know really you know possible nuclear war if this very, guy very 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 possible nuclear war. And wh why did it have to happen that way? We didn't have to leave Afghanistan in that kind of a hurry. Yeah, okay, they want to leave. Great, fine, no, no problem. But to leave, rushing out, not even turning off the lights, why did we have to do that? And we left thousands, tens of thousands of our friends in Afghanistan to be murdered by the Taliban and the other barbarians. Why, yeah. why did we have to do that? It was not, it was not necessary. It, there was an e easy solutions to have a good withdrawal, but it just shows the incompetence. I mean, you would think just the Afghanistan debacle alone would lead to this administration being thrown out. But I think it gets back to 
what we started this conversation with that there's there's essentially two two different countries within the united states one country is completely walled off from the other and one country or and what the one side i would say the the conservative side believes in the freedom of speech believes in the truth i mean that's why we're we're trying to open up the internet here at true social and you know people like and, you and you're are, doing a very good job damn well, good job and people like you are being blacklisted from hollywood ben and uh, it's horrible but I do want to give a, I want to get a shout out too cuz you you're on Rumble 3 nights a week you cuz you're streaming live right you're going cuz you'll post it on Truth yes and then you'll yes. stream live on Rumble well a great deal of the credit goes to my very very close best friend Judah Meyer Friedman who uh produces it and uh he's there night and day working on it and uh I can tell you none of us gets paid and uh uh, it, it's incredibly great how hard he works, and we get great guests. I mean, we we really get wonderful guests. We get very smart, literate guests whose head is on in the right way. Well, the the world according to Ben Stein, and I uh, hope you guys will check it out. You can check it on a Rumble or on Apple Podcasts. And I know I'm going to come on in a couple of weeks. Well, actually, We're there it is, right it. on the yeah, uh, right on the screen there. That's me. That's there. Me. You are. <laughs> and I, that's so a much younger me. Ben, I have uh, I have one more so one more fun clip to play for you. As many as you want, sir. I'm at your disposal. And and then we'll get your thoughts on this this after we play this next week. So it's one another one of our great creators called the United Spot. I've no idea who they are, but they've been on True Social since the very beginning. They make all kinds of just great great videos. Uh, but this one in particular, I thought you would enjoy because it has a lot of. It's basically the scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But with new characters. So oh, let's play it. Let's, let's, let's play it. the clip. That's it. Are here, Nadler. Here. Known as. Known as. Known as. I don't think he's like here or whatever. Has anyone seen Nunez? Uh, I seen him. Well, where is he? Well, I, I didn't actually see him, but um, my, my best friend's next door neighbor's cousin's sister's boyfriend, uncle's dad. Knows a guy who heard it from a friend, who heard it from a friend, who has a friend, knows a girl that walks a cat for somebody, that knows someone who overheard a phone conversation saying that Kevin Nunez was the CEO of True Social. Thanks, Nancy. <laughs> no problem whatsoever. You're still here? Go home. Sign up for True Social. Go. Very good. Very good. Well done, sir. Well done. That, not bad. By the, That was by the United Spot. And for those of you who are listening. I don't know who they audio, are, but they do good work. Yeah. And if you're listening on the audio version of this, uh, what it is, is it's, it's of course, uh, Ben Stein and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But you had, what, uh, Nancy Pelosi in there. You had a, a cameo by AOC. Uh, and then, of course, it's me at the end. They're looking for you're looking for me. It's quite funny. Well, God bless you. I hope I, now I see I found you. Thank God. Yeah, here we are. Well, Ben, thank you. Thank you so much for, for taking this time. And I look oh, forward to it. It was my pleasure. Sure, sure. It was my pleasure. I would, lo- I would love it if we did it more often. And uh, I'm always at your disposal. Well, you're very, you're very kind. I look forward to joining you live here in the next few weeks. And if you find yourself down here in Southern California, uh, we have a house in Beverly Hills, a house in Malibu. And I'd be happy to take you to dinner or lunch at either the, either of those locations. Well, I have to, as long as I have to dodge the homeless people getting out of my hometown, oh, and getting down to yours. Well, come down, 
you'll be safe at our house. I'll make you some delicious, uh, tea, delicious sautéed steak. I'll, br- I'll bring you some eggs. God bless you, sir. God bless you. <laughs> All right, everybody. It's Ben Stein, The World According to Ben Stein. You can watch it on Rumble and listen to it on where you get your podcasts. And this is Devin Nunes signing off. We'll catch you next time. God bless you, devil. Devil. <laughs> <laughs>